you wouldn't find it just by walking in the woods. You have to want to go there because it is not easy to find. And people who know about it walk down and go to see it. And people who don't know about it have no idea that it's there. It is a giant abandoned dam. It's 30 feet tall and 900 feet wide and made from huge stone boulders. And the story of how it came to be here is the story of an American tycoon and his quest to go back in time. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And we're taking you to a place in Sudbury, Massachusetts, where America's champion of industry failed to triumph over nature, a place that's been given the inglorious nickname Ford's Folly. More after this. time I took a road trip. How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. It's July of 1923. A car pulls up outside of an old tavern in Sudbury, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. This place is called the Wayside Inn. It's a local landmark. It was a hotspot during the American Revolution. And then later, the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a book about it. In 1923, though, the inn is kind of falling apart. To raise money for renovations, some locals write letters to prominent businessmen around the country, asking them to buy shares. Well, one of those businessmen actually shows up. And that businessman is Henry Ford. The Henry Ford, founder of the Ford Motor Company and one of the wealthiest men in the United States. So the owners give Henry Ford the tour. And then he says something that shocks them. And Henry Ford listened to their pitch, and then he said, I'll take it all. This is Aileen Kaplan. She's a historical tour guide, and she's written for Atlas Obscura. So Ford goes ahead and buys the whole inn, and all of the 60 acres that it sits on. But that's not all. He doesn't just want the inn. Soon, he has bigger plans. And then he sent his agents out around Sudbury to buy up 
houses and land before word got out that Henry Ford had invested in Sudbury. And then he sent uh, another one of his agents to buy homes and mills and schools, barns, garages, furniture, carriages, all sorts of things that he could use because he wanted to create a historical village. A historical village. Specifically, a historical colonial village. Okay, we're going to pause for a second to talk a little bit about the paradox of Henry Ford. Henry Ford is kind of a confusing figure. In many ways, he was ahead of his time. So, you know, he introduced the production line and he paid his workers enough so that they could afford to buy the cars that they made, which was and is today a revolutionary concept. At the same time, the man who brings Americans off of the farms and into the factories, out of the country and into the city, is also always looking backwards. He believed in the pioneer spirit. He believed in living off the land. He thought that working hard and good citizenship and patriotic spirit would solve all the problems of the United States prior to World War II. Now, the French have a term for this. It's called nostalgie de la boue. And that means nostalgia for the mud. And it's the idea that if we all just went back to a simpler time when, you know, we lived off the land, everything would be fine. Less complicated, simpler, more moral. Biographer Vincent Curcio put it nicely. He says about Ford, the man who had done more than any other individual to drag people into the modern age did everything he could to pretend that age didn't exist. And it's more than just nostalgia. There's something pretty ugly under there, too. Ford is xenophobic. He's anti-Semitic. Lots of new immigrants are coming to the U.S. at this time. And many settle in cities to work in factories. Some people see this as a cultural threat, including Henry Ford. Historian Jesse Swigger writes that Ford saw his own love for colonial music, for example, as a way of pushing back, and I'm putting this in air quotes, against these foreign influences on American culture. So maybe it's Ford's prejudices. Maybe it's his own ambivalence or even his guilt about the changes to society that he has brought about. But when Ford looks at the problems facing America in 1923, he looks to the past. It's a great irony that he didn't see the problems of the United States being solved by the future, being solved by modernization, which is what you would have expected. So Ford sets out to go back in time. He wants to create a living history museum where people actually live like they did in colonial times. So he starts assembling the village piece by piece. In 1925, he builds a grist mill that the wayside uses to grind cornmeal and wheat flour. In 1926, he refurbishes a little red schoolhouse for the children of the inn's employees. And Ford is another thought. This village is going to need a fresh water supply. And there's a small brook on top of a nearby mountain that seems like it could do the trick. He knew that it was clean, pure water. And to get a reservoir that was going to supply water to the village and the inn, he needed to build a dam. Building a dam 
seems like a reasonable enough idea. The brook is just a little wisp of a thing, really. And this is Henry Ford we're talking about. What is one little brook to one of the most powerful men in the United States? Cost was no object. They hired the best stonemasons to come and do this. In 1927, work on the dam begins. They used manpower, oxen power. They didn't use any electrical equipment whatsoever. No gasoline-powered equipment. They put pulleys to lift these rocks up. Meanwhile, other projects in the village move ahead. It's 1928, and Ford opens a school for teenage boys where they're taught trades like carpentry and blacksmithing and farming. And to supply his little village with fruits and vegetables, Ford opens a general store. And there are strict rules about what it can sell. Nothing modern, nothing, God forbid, canned. And in 1928, Ford finishes building a bypass road that diverts traffic around the wayside. Which, think about it for a second. Henry Ford wants to make sure that his colonial village isn't ruined by too much noise and disruption from automobile traffic. Then it's 1930, and after three years of painstaking work, the dam is finally finished. It's ready to be filled, and it's this massive, glorious thing to behold. 900 feet long, 30 feet high. Now comes the moment of truth. Now you've got the dam. You've got the stream coming down, and the dam started to hold the water, and it backed up and created a reservoir. And then all the water drained away. And the reason is it's built on what the geologists call incompetent fractured bedrock, which means it has a lot of fissures, it's very porous, and it's incompetent in the sense that it can't hold anything. So all the water drained away, and it ran downhill where it started from. This is bad. Obviously bad. But they think, okay, this has to be fixable, right? So they go back to the drawing board. But around this time, it seems like the luster of the project is starting to wear off a bit for Henry Ford. Things keep not quite going to plan. Remember the general store? The one where villagers buy all their wholesome fruits and vegetables? Well, during one visit in 1938, Ford notices something peeking out from one of the store's back shelves. It's cans of Campbell's soup. Ford tells everyone to get out, takes the keys to the store, and chucks it into the pond outside. (laughs) Madman. Now, a few years earlier, as Ford got this village going, he also started daydreaming. Daydreaming about building an even bigger, better living museum closer to one of his factories in Michigan. A museum that would cover even more of American history with exhibits like the Wright Brothers Shop and Thomas Edison's Lab. Ford names this project Greenfield Village. And as he sinks more and more money into Sudbury and more and more things go wrong, it seems like Ford begins to turn his attention a little more fully towards Greenfield, a place where maybe he'll have a little more control. Meanwhile, Ford's workers are still trying to fix up the dam. They tried all sorts of things to solve it. Um, If you go and look at the dam now, there were some huge blocks of concrete at the base of the dam on the downhill side. Looks like he was trying to plug up leaks. 
none of it worked. In 1946, after working on the dam for 16 years, Ford abandons it. And essentially, he abandons Sudbury too. His family puts the inn into a self-sustaining trust. And in 1947, Henry Ford dies. You can still find pieces of Ford's colonial village around Sudbury today, if you know where to look. You can still stay at the Wayside Inn, and if you have, say, a corn muffin in their restaurant, it is still made from cornmeal ground by the grist mill that Henry Ford built. Pepperidge Farm actually used this mill until the 1960s. So if you look at their logo, that little mill, that's Henry Ford's mill. That's the one he built. Then, of course, there is still the dam. If you walk into the woods near Sudbury, there's a little carved wooden sign near the site. But it doesn't say Henry Ford's Dam. Not exactly. It's called Ford's Folly, you know, and a folly is some expensive thing that doesn't work, that has no function. So I would expect that's what the New Englanders called it when it failed. Today, where the reservoir was supposed to be, there's nothing but trees and shrubs. And the dam generally looks overgrown and abandoned. For some years, some of the boys, I would assume, at Lincoln Sudbury Regional High School, pushed some old cars off the side of the dam on the downhill side. I guess they thought that was fun. And the cars are still there. You know, they're all, they're rusted hulks. There's like two or three of them. So... Maybe there is still a little piece of Henry Ford there, after all. Special thanks to Aileen Kaplan for telling us the story of Ford's folly, and to the writers Brian Plum, Vincent Curcio, and Jesse Swigger for their excellent books on Ford and his projects. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney, Annie Eubank. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There is a link in the episode description. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus 
at Lincoln.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.